Good morning. Good morning. In keeping with today's feast day, this homily will have three parts. Part one of today's homily in six words, what are the Holy Spirit's pronouns? What are the Holy Spirit's pronouns? Wait, you might be thinking, I thought the Holy Spirit was last week. This is Trinity Sunday, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that will be our subject matter. But I'm taking this as an opportunity to focus on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, formerly known as the Holy Ghost. Because, primarily because the third person of the Trinity is the one I have always had the most difficulty understanding and relating to. Because in spite of the formative theologians of the church calling the Holy Spirit a person, unlike the first two persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son, the Spirit has never been and is not now ever represented as a person. So how do we get to personal pronouns? For years, every time I say the line in the Nicene Creed that says of the Spirit, He has spoken through the prophets, I wonder to myself, who decided that the Holy Spirit is a He? And based on what? So last week I decided to run it to ground. And since personal pronouns are gender-inflected words, it makes sense to look at the nouns the tradition has used to name God's third force. As we all know, English does not assign gender to nouns, but the three languages that came before English all do, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. The Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, which Noah reminded me earlier today, uh, it, that's the word that was in the first reading when it talked about a wind from God sweeping over the face of the waters. Ruach is feminine. The Greek word pneuma is neuter. That's a variant of neither neither masculine nor feminine. The Latin word spiritus is masculine. So if we went with the original Hebrew, the Holy Spirit's pronouns would be she, her, her. If we went with Greek, using the current convention, the Holy Spirit's pronouns would be they, them, there. They is a little awkward, but it, it does the job. If we go with Latin, the Holy Spirit's pronouns would be he, him, his. Which I think explains why he became the pronoun in the Nicene Creed of the English-speaking churches, because Latin was the last stop before English. In any case, the Holy Spirit, who started out as she, and then became they, became he 
because the only word Latin had available was masculine. In other words, it's an accident of history. All right, that's the end of today's linguistics lesson. The bottom line is, we would not be off base if we used any of those pronouns when speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now here's your fun fact for the week. When I was running through the history of translations in the Anglican tradition, I discovered that the 1928 prayer book solved this in a different way. It used the word who. So it read, the giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spake through the prophets? Who knew? <laughs> the 28 prayer book was ahead of its time. All that being said, part two of today's homily in six words, maybe we don't need pronouns. Maybe we don't really need pronouns. Which brings me to the second reason that the third person of the Trinity is the one I have always had the most difficulty understanding and relating to. The Holy Spirit, who the theologians call a person, is always and only ever represented as a bird. How can you relate to a bird as a person? For one thing, birds don't talk, except maybe parrots, <laughs> which reminds me of a joke, but we're not going there. <laughs> Even more so, how can you relate to a person whose facial expression never changes? God as father or mother, Jesus our brother, these are all images we can work with and interact with. It may be more helpful to think of the spirit as an impersonal force, an energy field emanating from the father and the son. The three nouns that we talked about, the three nouns in the tradition, all reference one of the fundamental elements of the universe, air. Ruach, wind, pneuma, breath, spiritus, breeze. These three words all suggest that this manifestation of God is like air, wind, and breath. What do these all have in common? First of all, they're invisible. Secondly, we perceive them only by their effects, their influence on visible things. We can't see the wind, but we can feel it blowing on our face. We know it's there when we see leaves shaking and trees bending. 
It's energy influencing everything it touches. This is where the toast finally popped up for me about the meaning of the bird. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. The Holy Spirit is the wind under the dove's wings. Now, I don't know if I'm the only one who didn't figure this out until later in life. Uh, if, uh, if it was obvious to all of you all, all along, please do not call me out in public. Just take me aside later in <laughs> private and say, Vince, duh. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the wind beneath the dove's wings. That's why the wings are always open. The Holy Spirit is everything below. The dove is a prop that points toward the air all around it. And in this case, in the case of the Holy Spirit, it's not earth air blowing through the world's atmosphere and manifesting in the natural world or the air that we breathe into our bodies. This is divine air, the breath of God that we breathe into our souls. So, invisible God energy all around us. How do we access that energy and how do we work with it? We have experience with this because we deal with powerful, invisible energy all the time. It's called the internet. The first thing you have to do is to sign in. It's a matter of making a conscious connection. We have to invite it to lift our attention, to quiet our minds and open them up to what's out there all around us all the time. Have you seen the t-shirt that reads, Prayer, the original wireless connection? Might we make a case for the Spirit as the internet service provider of the Holy Trinity? How do you know it's working? You see evidence of the wind by its influence in the physical world. The breeze on your face, the trees shaking. You see evidence of the internet by its influence on all kinds of human behavior. The biggest one being people are spending money. Speaking of influence, you may be aware that one of the highest paying jobs in the information industry is just that, to be an influencer. This is a type of marketing involving endorsements and product placement from people who are seen as having an expert level of knowledge or social influence in their respective fields. Influencers affect buying habits by uploading sponsored content to social media platforms like Instagram and YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok. How many followers do you need to be uh, 
to, to, to be an influencer? These are the parameters. People with between 500,000 and 1 million followers on a social network are called macro-influencers. 10,000 to 50,000 micro-influencers, and if it's a specialty product with fewer than 1,000 followers, you're considered a nano-influencer. This is a moment to recall something that cannot be repeated too many times. The kingdom of God is not a place in the sky where you go when you die. The kingdom of God is a sphere of influence, and the Holy Spirit is all about that. She, they, he, who is the macro influencer of the people of God. Two minute warning. There's lots of influences floating around out there. There are many spirits in the air. Part three of today's homily, in eight words, I couldn't get it into six. How do we know it's the Holy Spirit? How do we know it's the Holy Spirit? Simple answer. Matthew 7:20 By your fruits you shall know them. Back in the 20th century, if you were a Roman Catholic, there were two items you had to really study up on in order to get confirmed. This is Roman Catholicism 101, but don't get nervous, it's all good. First you had to know the gifts of the Holy Spirit of which there were seven, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. And secondly, you had to know the fruits of the Holy Spirit, of which there were 12. Charity, generosity, joy, gentleness, peace, faithfulness, patience, modesty, kindness, self-control, goodness, and chastity. Search Google for further information. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are the qualities displayed in the lives of the people who are striving to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We may not hear rushing winds or see tongues of fire, but we know the spirits there when we encounter godly qualities in the daily lives and actions of disciples. Second fun fact for the day and I'm bringing it home now. Summer is the season of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Starting next Sunday, there are 12 weeks to get you to September. You know where I'm going with this, right? 
You could take one fruit of the Spirit for reflection per week, and you'll be in great spiritual shape by Labor Day. Postscript. The other universal element associated with the Holy Spirit is fire. Didn't talk about that today. So thanks to Kevin for choosing as today's recessional hymn a marvelous medieval poem about the spirit as fire, set to a beautiful melody by Vaughan Williams. If you sing it loud and pay attention to the words, that will be the perfect way to go out the door today, praying twice for God's influence to fill us and sustain us through the green months of our new liturgical season, Pentecost.